This week on Own Your Business, we've got a special treat for you. It's a replay of the panel that I hosted with Persephone and Kate Turner, Abby Jew, and Julian Lever are the guests. All three are clients of ours at ID Action Consulting, and they're also clients of Persephone and her team at the Media Socialites. And that's who we're teaming up with on the Social and Sway Mastermind this year. So we brought everybody together for a conversation because we wanted our audience to hear their perspective on what helped get them where they are today, which is really near the top of their markets. And as you'll hear, there are lots of different ways to get there, just like you can take things in lots of different ways. But the fastest and the most fun approaches share a lot in common. And that's what we spend our time talking about. Here are the top 10 takeaways from the conversation to help get you excited about what follows. Number one, success is not granted. You have got to go out and get it, especially when things are slow. Number two, when you think you're doing really well, there's so much more out there, but you have to do things differently to take it to the next level and stop leaving money on the table. Number three, ideal clients want to see themselves in your work. So know what to post on social and how to present it on your website and how to talk about it in the sales process. Number four, sales is something that has to be learned. Find an expert and do what they say. Number five, everyone plateaus or hits a ceiling at some point, but the pros who push through it do so by getting help from experts who know the way. Number six, Guessing what to post on social media and how to sell to couples is the slowest way to success. Trial and error works, but not quickly. Number seven, you improve what you focus on. So pick carefully and be strategic about it. Number eight, you cannot do it all. So find others to round out your team in key areas. Number nine, get good at the hard things because everyone else is struggling. And if you can be just a little bit better than the others, you're going to win more business more often. And number 10, people at the top don't get there by themselves. They have help from coaches and advisors, and their biggest regret is not hiring those experts sooner. Now, we had nearly 100 people on the live with us, and we kept them on for almost the entire duration of the conversation. I think we lost one person over the course of the discussion. So if you don't make it to the end where we talk about our new Social and Sway Mastermind, do yourself a favor and check out more information at Social and Sway if you want to book more ideal clients at higher prices. Click the link in the show notes and it'll take you right there. This program is dynamite. The curriculum is about 25% social media, 25% other marketing, and then the remaining 50% is advanced sales work. This mastermind tells you exactly what to do in either areas that you're getting stuck or where you might be leaving money on the table. I like to think of it not so much as an expense, but instead as a moneymaker for your business. The last day to sign up for this is Tuesday, February 7th at midnight. Now, enjoy the show. This panel was amazing. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets, now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. 
thank you all for joining. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Sam Jacobson. I'm going to be uh, the MC and host of the panel discussion. Uh, we're joined here. Uh, uh, Persephone is my uh, collaborator on this one. Uh, she will be running the Q&A and participating in the conversation and prompting uh, the discussion between our three celebrity wedding uh, professionals. I like using that word, and I, I think it's kind of true, guys, because I know you may not think of yourselves as celebrity. Oh, maybe you do, and if you if you do, you don't have to say anything. But <laughs> I like I know because I talk with a lot of people every day in the wedding industry, and I'm in a lot of different Facebook groups, and you three are regularly cited as people that they look up to. In fact, I was in a Facebook group today with over 3,000 people, and somebody was talking about the copywriting on Abby Jew's website. And I would, and that I question, that. and I was like, oh, we happen to write that. Let me provide <laughs> a little bit of information. Don't worry, I didn't spill all the tea on anything that you need. I know, we have our NDA, Sam, and it means... I know, I know. I stand <laughs> in the other direction. I ended up in the other direction is what I did. <laughs> but we're going to we're gonna be chatting today with, with these three who have achieved really great success with their businesses over a pretty tumultuous time period. And I think that there's a lot to that because in, in the, the current economic climate, there's a lot of, I'm just calling it malaise. And there's a lot of malaise out there and it, you know, it doesn't feel like the pandemic, but it certainly doesn't feel like this time last year. Um, it doesn't feel like four years ago, but it doesn't yet feel like anything from 2010, but I want to, I want to really focus today's conversation. And this is what Persephone and I are interested in. How have Kate and Julian and Abby attracted and booked so many amazing clients over the last several years? with the the marketing and sales that have been uh, super important to uh, their business's success. So with that, we're going to go ahead and kick off. Uh, if you do not know everybody, we're going to do a quick little introduction here. Uh, I'm Sam Jacobson, uh, sales pricing copywriting expert. My wife and I, Katie, own a company called ID Action. We are a Swiss army knife for wedding pros who want to grow their business <laughs> with proven scientific approaches. Uh, Persephone, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and then we'll go with uh, Kate and then Julian and Abby. Perfect. I'm Persephone. I'm the CEO of the Media Socialites and we are a content influencer and social media 360 agency and I also own it alongside my husband, Eddie, who's also on here. Thanks, Kate. I'm Kate Turner. I'm the owner of Kate & Company. We started in 2012. We are a luxury of uh, exclusively full service event planning and design firm based in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, about 60% of what we do is local to St. Louis and about 40% is destination. That's great. Julian? I'm Julian Lieber. Um, I'm the owner of Julian Lieber Events. Um, we're based in Dallas, Texas, and we do probably 50-50 um, luxury destination and then luxury local. Hi, I'm Abby Jew, based in D.C., and I'm a luxury wedding photographer. I lead an all-female team of four photographers and primarily destination. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for that. Um, all right, so we've got a little bit of background on here. I've kind of hyped you guys up. Uh, I'd love to start off with a question uh, that I think is really important, and I see this so much in conversations from people, and that is, is it really that crucial to know who your ideal client is? And and does all the work that you do with marketing and sales really revolve around knowing this ideal client? 
Um, Julian, I'd love to get your take on your thoughts on that and, and maybe even how that, that might have evolved over the years and, and, and where you're at right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, so I started my business in 2016 and, um, I think probably like everyone on this call, like you just wing it for a minute, you know? Um, and you're just trying to get clients. And I started like with a landing page. I mean, it's terrifying to now think about that. Um, but it has evolved. It has evolved over time. And and really in understanding um, and diving a little bit deeper and kind of, you know, drinking the Sam's juice a little bit, um, I, because I was skeptical. I was like, who's this Sam Jacobson guy? And like, what? <laughs> and, um, and I knew him from the Dallas local market, but then he just was, he would always drop like a subtle hit. It was almost like he was just like, you know, one day, man, I'm going to work with you. But until then, I'm going to give you like these little nuggets and then you're going to want to keep coming back for more. And um, and so then finally, I kind of broke down and I had his company do um, like a copy map kind of ideal buyer. I don't know what you call it now, Sam, but um, kind of process. And it really changed kind of everything for me. And that was really about four years ago. Um, so pre-pandemic, um, and really maybe five and, um, and it just really started, I started talking to better people and people that were more of a fit for, for what I wanted to do. And it really has changed, um, kind of over time. And the, the beauty I think of, of looking at your ideal buyer is that it changes, right? And I think it's about recognizing that it changes. I'm actually going through the process again right now, um, of change. My ideal buyer has changed. And so, I think it's something that's organic and it moves with you. And so if you're if you're willing to be a little nimble with it, it's um it will get you really to to the right place. So it's mm -hmm. uh, evolved for sure. I mean, yours has evolved a little bit over the years as well. You and I have been working together for coaching for a, a while. Um, but, but talk to people about how you've seen things change with your ideal client, even just in the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, even just recently, I realized it changed. And um, I feel like it is so important to have that that person like dialed in. There's so much like information all the time. And I think even if you think you know who it is, then you're influenced by images you see everywhere and you get really confused. And then you're like, am I posting the right things? Am I saying the right things on my, on my website? It gets very confusing, even if you feel like you're clear. So like getting that person to like really visualizing her is so impactful to like keep your brand very clear on the direction you want to go. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Abby, can you speak a little bit as to how you've taken your strategy and evolved it for social as well? Because your strategy from three or four years ago versus today is, couldn't be any more different. Um, and I would love for you to speak a little bit more on that. Uh, just like our approach and our cadence, things like that. Is that what you're asking? Sorry, did you hear me? No, no, I couldn't hear you. Okay. I was asking more specific about the question, like our approach, like how many times we post and what we post. Is that what you're asking? That, but also you used to speak to the camera and <laughs> yeah, about a lot. Yeah, so we used to speak to the camera and we have a, a team of four people. So it was like important for us, for for me, for everyone to know that it wasn't just me. I didn't want to take credit for everything. I wanted people to know who they are. But then we just started realizing as we we're reaching this ultra luxury market, like 
you don't talk to the camera anymore. Like those people in that stratosphere are not doing it. So we realized that, um, start, stop talking to the camera and just realize we wanted to become a more elusive brand versus just being like out there every day, more mysterious. Yeah, I love that. Kate, what about for you? What kind of understanding have you had about your ideal client and how has it shaped some of the work that you've done towards them over the last few years? I think um, I think understanding who your ideal client is arguably just as important, if not more important than even having a mission statement, because it really drives the type of people that you work with. So we always joke that people will have, we call it the cute shoe discount, right? Somebody comes in and you fall in love with them as a person and you forget to focus on whether or not they are your ideal client. So going through that process, which is something I really dragged my feet on, but we went through that process several years ago and I know exactly who my ideal client is now. They have a name, they have an avatar, and that's something we worked a lot with ID Action on. But I know mine is um, celebrities are not my thing. I know that famous people are not my thing. It is small business owners, second generation wealth. I like working with moms and dads. I'm okay with them being my client versus I think some people's ideal client are actually the bride, the couple, so somebody along those lines. It's really shifted our focus. So if somebody walks away by our choice or their choice, I go back to, are they my ideal client? And it's very, very rare that we lose a piece of business if they are not our ideal client. Um, and so it also helps with the, um, Sam, you taught me this, but you're in the, the luxury ultra luxury market, you're going to see more no than yes. That's okay. Um, and so it's taught me not to internalize. I'm a, I take everything personally. So I don't internalize when someone walks away now because I know, all <laughs> right, I know they were not my ideal client. And it was an exercise I dragged my feet on, but I'm glad that I went through. Yeah, it's tough, right? I mean, how many inquiries a, a, a week or a month do you think you get, Kate? I mean, I answered 12 yesterday. And so how many, right? and how many weddings a year do you want to do? Um, so it's an interesting question. If, if, if you needed a quick answer, my answer would probably be 10. But if you permit me just a second, yeah. and this is something I also learned um, in working with ID Action, I, I feel like I sound like a billboard right now, but truly I did, is we don't look at it by the number of weddings we do. We look at it by the amount of budgets that we are handling because the amount of work that it takes to do a million dollar wedding versus a hundred thousand dollar wedding is vastly different. So I think going through the exercise and being able to equate a task as a planner to a dollar amount in that client's budget allows us to forecast the traffic that we will be seeing next fall or next spring or next winter. Um, and we can better uh, utilize our time and whether we consider take somebody off. So some years it may be 10 and some years it may be six. It depends on what that client's budget is far more than it does the certain amount of like the a specific number of events, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I love that. I remember when we had that conversation, you were like, wow, I had like, that is such a different perspective of looking at the business instead of how many weddings we want to do. It's how much money do we want to make and how many how many millions of dollars of our clients' budget do we need to manage to be able to make that happen? And it was a little bit about why are we not talking about this more as an industry? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so it's so true. A hundred percent. And it's, it's scary, right? Like sometimes it's scary to have those conversations too, Kate. Like I feel like I took the time 
in the beginning of the pandemic when everything was just postponing and we were sitting around twiddling our thumbs to kind of build to not twiddle my thumbs and really build an engine for growth. And then that has really paid off in the last two years. And now I have no idea what the hell is going on, to be totally honest. And so it's like now I'm back in that phase of like, okay, I need to sit back down and reassess and listen to the things like what you just said and say, okay, this is this is the engine for growth was too much. And so now I need to put a little bit of a break on it and figure out like of all these people that I've worked with in the last year and year and a half, like who is my actual client now? Like, and who do I want more of and who do I want less of? And how do I um, make those changes? And I feel like that's kind of what I'm doing right now with ID Action and with um, the media socialites is looking at like those hard things where it's like the hard part of being a business owner and like it's uncomfortable, you know, and it's like, oh, maybe I made a mistake there and and being able to own that. And I think that's part of this, too, is like being super vulnerable and being a little afraid and knowing but knowing that you have to do the next right thing. You know, we, we, Katie and I talk about this, that the three hardest words to say are, I don't know, or I need help, or, or I, I, I was wrong. Um, those are all really hard to say. And I think that that's kind of what you're talking about here, Julian. Um, I, I want to keep this conversation going, but I, I know that Persephone had put in the chat and I'll just echo it here. If you are in the audience and we have almost a hundred people, <laughs> please use the Q and A in the bottom portion of the screen and feel free to ask a question. And uh, Persephone is going to moderate those questions. We're going to see where the conversation goes. None of this is scripted. And so, you know, we've got a list of things that we can talk about. But I, I, I want to hear from the audience of what you want to know so that we can ask questions. Here's the next one for, for uh, Abby. And, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. We've been talking about ideal clients. And that's super important for us to know who our ideal client is. What I hear from a lot of people is that my ideal client is rich. <laughs> and it pretty much stops right there. But I can assure you that at some point you have said, you know what? I don't care how much money they pay me. They can't treat me like that. Or I ended up saying yes to this event and then it turned out like crap and I can't use it for my portfolio. So I just want to highlight that when we think about ideal clients and what we're talking about and what what I know that these three are because they've worked with with both Persephone and my company is that it's not just the demographics of like wealth. It's, it's really about the ethographics, which are what they value and believe in. And most importantly, the psychographics, which are what are their attitudes and beliefs and emotional triggers that make them say yes or no to a decision. And when you dig into those things, that's when you start to formulate your ideal, your ideal client. And really you want to look at, I call them the three P's. So you have price, which is that budget, but the other two qualifiers for your ideal client are going to be personality. What do they like to work with? Do you get along with them? Are they fun? Could you, especially if you're a planner, could you imagine hanging out with them for 500 hours? And and then the third thing is is portfolio. And that is what will this project look like either creatively during the, you know, that process of, of making the event happen or or looking back on it, will this further my, my marketing and my brand awareness in a way that I'm proud of? Mm-hmm. So it's really price, personality, and portfolio. I'm curious, Abby, what were some of the things that that you learned about your ideal client that were, I don't know, maybe surprising or or that were super important to you as you think about what you do with attracting more of them? Yeah. 
So I feel like we definitely have our avatar. And I was like, literally like, I'm going to write Sam and Katie because I think we need to do it again. Like, I think that like how Julian's doing and I was just kind of during the pandemic too. So it's like kind of that timing and like always evolving about who that person is. And like you said, Sam, like um, being rich is maybe, you know, having the wealth to pay for our services is important, but also there's so many things within that, like, you know, you could have a really nice wedding and it could be all about the food and the wine. And like, that's probably not my client. Like my client like might like those things, but they're about fashion and they're confident and they are like excited to be in front of the, they're not afraid to be in front of the camera. So even though you can have wealth, you can have different emphasis on where you want to spend or even your attitude towards things. So that's where we really dialed in and need to do it again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Julian always Julian is always the pioneer when it comes to our our services. Julian was actually client number two for us uh, out of uh, 230 websites that we are working on or have worked on in the last almost four years now. He was client number two, and uh, and and rightfully so. Fun fact is that Julian married me and Katie. Um, if y'all didn't know that, we consider him a very close friend. He was our officiate. He was he and Francisco, his husband, were uh, two of eight people, including us and our kids, that were at our wedding. Francisco took the pictures. Sorry, Abby. Oh, I, <laughs> I made the bouquet. I did the officiating. <laughs> it was a turnkey scenario for ourselves. <laughs> Kate, Julian, e- either of you have um, you know some some sort of surprising insight or thing that you learned about your ideal client that that really stuck out to you that you were like how did I not know that or how did I even book anybody with without that in mind yeah I I was just thinking about that and and kind of opposite from Kate a little bit my ideal client the last time we went through really was um the the bride herself and so we tend to attract a little bit of an older client who's getting married a little later in life, who both of the, the couple kind of come with um, the wealth needed to do whatever they kind of want to do. Um, and so it's been an interesting kind of navigation for us of because also we're based in the South, right, where it tends to be a lot of parents very involved, it tends to be a little bit of a younger wedding. And so we've kind of been attracting a little bit of a different client. Um, most of our clients really come, they left the South, but their parents still live in it. And so they live in LA, they live in New York, they live in Chicago, but they're coming home to get married. And so they want someone who has kind of a little bit of a different perspective than just um, the, the traditional kind of Southern wedding, or we're going obviously destination somewhere else to get married um, because they really don't want to get married back here at home. But um it was interesting for me to kind of evolve that and then really change the way that I was speaking to directly to that bride on my site and through social. And so that definitely changed. And just the fonts that we were using and the images that we were using to really target that um, that specific client, which has now even evolved further. So I think it's just about honing in um, and being open to it. I think that was the thing, again, is just about openness. Like sometimes we want to look at what we want things to be versus what they actually are. And so that's what I really love about kind of both of your approaches is that 
you have helped me look at the data. And Sarah Kane, who's kind of my right hand and my other lead planner, and we really do all of this together, thank God for her. Um, but she loves to look at a data-driven situation. You know, like I feel like I am very much more from the hip in a lot of ways. Like I feel like it feels right. And so I do it. Whereas Sarah kind of balances me out and she's like, oh, well, let's look at the spreadsheet. And what does that actually, <laughs> what does that actually say, Julian? And, um, and so that's helped, you know, and, and that's what I've loved about both of your approaches is that they're not just shoot from the hip. They really are very scientific and we're looking at the metrics and looking at um, all the data. And, um, and because of you also, we started surveying all of our clients and that has really helped too. We send a survey after every single event um, to both the parents of both couples and to the couple themselves. And we've just been able to gather more information in that process um, to be able to, when it comes time to kind of redo your avatar, then you have all the the data that you need. Julian, I don't know if I'm making this up, but don't you also send a survey to your wedding creatives that have worked alongside you as well? Yeah, we do. Every single wedding, every creative gets a survey. Um, and so they we ask for feedback and it's great. It helps us improve our process and it really helps drive um, both of those. Because I also think that that's the other thing that we've found that's interesting is it's not only your ideal client, it's your ideal creative group too, right? Like I want to be in that creative group. I want to work with those people. I want to have the clients that can work with those people. So it goes hand in hand. You have to like look at both pieces, you know, from the planning perspective, we sit at this kind of fulcrum of all the information. And so we have the ability, if we just take a little bit of time to to survey everybody and get all the information that you might need. That's nice. Also, you're making yourself so vulnerable and that's like just respect for that. That's awesome. Scary. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta share. Friends, we're all in it together. This is hard. This job has gotten so hard. It used to be so fun. I mean, it's so fun. It's so fun. It's something actually that we're going to be implementing um, for our clients as well, just so that it's a constant like pulse check. And I, I really love and admire that. I have a question for you, Kate, um, especially as your your weddings have evolved over the past several years. Um, what do you do now and how do you curate now that you wouldn't have done beforehand? Um, what do you do with the old content is is often a question that people have. It's like, so is it dead? You know, what do you what do you think about that? I mean, whatever you tell me to do, honestly. And <laughs> <laughs> do what they said. Full stop. I mean, I really struggled with my social media before we started working together. No, I really mean I'm not just blowing smoke. I really mean that because I would dive deep into our, we're incredibly organized as a surprise to probably 0% of these people and how we color photographs and how we host them. Um, and so I was like ready to work with somebody right from the beginning. And I would just get into these spirals of like, well, that's out of place and this is not quite right. And I hate that color scheme. And I don't, you know, I don't like that. And I think you took the blinders off when we started working together. And so showed me that it's okay to show things that aren't my personal aesthetic if they match with, and this is sort of where the ID action piece came in with my ideal client. And I mean, I know exactly who my ideal client is. I know how they travel. I know I, I know what they do for a living. I ever they have a name, they have an avatar, I mean, and everything. And I think m making those two things work together was I was approaching 
my social media as if it was me. That was the old way of doing things. So if I was talking to myself, now I try to approach my social media, which is a very much a combination of attracting our ideal client and then talking about community. Being in a so-called flyover state, which I hate that term, um, I really try to engage with the community because it's something that, and by community, I mean wedding community, I'm really passionate about paying it forward and uh, allowing others to come up and and to be in this luxury market. And just because you're in a small town or not a, a city um, traditionally considered luxury doesn't mean you can't do incredible events. And so that is the other piece of my content that we've worked a lot on. I love that. We have a lot of questions coming in now. Um, the first one is, um, okay, actually right here. Um, would you recommend serving the creative team as a photographer versus a planner? Um, is that, I don't know. Tell me, Julie, what do you think? I mean, I think, yes. I think the photographer could survey, could survey the planner back, honestly, because, and maybe the videographer, right? Mm -hmm. Because like, did we do an okay job? Like, how did we work together? Like, get it in a more formalized way. I think mm -hmm. it's nice to be able to to save it and and file it away and then revisit it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then 100% for the planner, right? We had those conversations kind of on the day of or whatever, right. but sometimes it's better to like leave the event, think about it a minute, and then be able to give like really great feedback about this is a specific thing. Hey, maybe I would change this or man, you like really killed this thing. Mm -hmm. So- it's yeah, I think video and and photo is is or video. I think you can, doesn't matter what you do in this industry. You can't operate from a perspective that you're doing everything perfectly. So it never hurts to survey a, a, a small group of people to find out what could I improve upon. I think we do that for every event. The Tuesday after the event, we sit as a team and talk about what went great for us, what went bad for us, the vendors, who we'd work with again, who we might need to have a constructive conversation. And if I approach that constructive conversation, I always start with, here's what I totally screwed up on this wedding day. Tell me, did you see anything I didn't? And also, by the way, do you mind if I talk about how we could work better together going forward? I love that. When we do research for, on behalf of our clients, um, like we've done for you three and and like we're doing as part of the positioning reports for the Social and Sway Mastermind that Persephone and I uh, have have open right now, we we find out from our client if they're not a planner, if they work with a lot of planners, if they do work with a lot of planners, we send out questionnaires specifically tailored to planners so that we can get feedback for our vendors on what we need to know about things from their perspective. And that's really helpful because if you are in luxury and you're working, you're likely working with at least, you know, a lot of planners, if not mostly planners. And so you need to make sure that you're selling to them too. You're, you're at least marketing to them. They're, they're what's called the feasibility buyer compared to the economic buyer. The feasibility buyer is the person that's going to see if this could be a good fit. Whereas the economic buyer is the one who's ultimately making the decision with their, you know, with their credit card or their checkbook. And so you've got to sell the two different people. And that's what's so tricky about websites and luxury is that you're not just selling to one person, you're selling to a group of people. You're selling to the, you know, the, the primary buyer, you're selling to the person that he or she is marrying, you're selling to the parents, 
You may be selling to a planner. You may be selling to other decision makers that are behind the scene. And so you've got to be able to communicate to so many different people, not just on your website, but through social media, your website. And then once you do the discovery call and then your sales proposal and then your proposal review call where you're trying to actually close the deal, you could be selling to three, four, five, eight different people along that process. And so when you go through and you excavate the brand and you identify your ideal client, it's not just your ideal client. You need to know about their partner and their parents. And you need to do the same thing for the planners that you're working with so that you have a little dossier on how they like to work and how they prefer to be communicated and what kind of weddings they like to do and what do their clients look like. So you know, this is this is such a a a huge important starting place for every business um, that you've got to spend some time on it. And that's why we're that's why we're starting the conversation. We're 30 minutes in because it's so important to know your ideal client. I I will say that I was kind of like Julian. I'm like, I don't know if it's really that important. Let's just go out and say yes to anybody who'll give me money. Right. Like like when I first started doing that in weddings, like that's how I operate. And then I remember the chef coming to me a few years in and he's like, Sam, I love that you can sell to anybody, but we don't want to work with everyone. <laughs> you know, like and I actually got I actually got a quota. So I got five crazies a year. That's what Bill gave me. Five crazies a year. Cause I used to sell them but not service, right? So I was like, whatever, I'm out of here. Like, <laughs> you know, I made my numbers and I don't have to deal with the fallout from it. And Julian, you know this from having worked at venues before, like that's a pretty nice place to be. So my penalty was when we hit the six crazy that I signed up, I had to plan their wedding with them. <laughs> that, that was my punishment. So after that, I started focusing more on ideal clients. Um, anyways, I, I, I just want to kind of point that out that um, it's it's actually kind of complex and and you've got to make sure that you know who who's in the mix. When you do, you can start to shape the process and the messaging around who it is that you're working with. And I love how well everybody here knows their ideal client. Like, you know, you know everything about them, not just that they have a lot of money. Exactly. We actually did the same process for our company too. Last year was the first year that we made the decision that we were honing in on really the luxury wedding market specifically. I was scared, just like all of us at some point, that like, what if I niche down too much and no one comes? They will if you're speaking directly to them and if you're constantly speaking to them through social, your website, and otherwise. And which leads me to this question that seems like it's directed to you, Abby. Um, how long did it take for you to identify the fact that your clients were fashion-driven? Um, what areas did you consider when you were designing this info, including the avatar? Yeah, I feel like, I mean, it's always evolving, like your client avatar. It, it's evolving i feel like with two things like you personally and then to what the market is doing so for us like i remember my focus was always being published in martha stewart that was like the thing like get published in print eight pages like that is the goal that's how you become successful and so that was a focus on a lot of perfect details i would shoot for them and we would do pre-wedding shoots of like tables that um were all completed and they weren't even in the same like one, one wedding we did was in a tent and then we shot the uh, magazine for an outdoor for a two-page spread. So it wasn't like, it wasn't as realistic as it is now, but that was the goal. That was what someone had told me that like how you get big is you get published in Martha over and over and over. Well, then all the world changed and they stopped doing print and I felt like, oh my gosh, like what is our focus now? Like this is what I've like I've focused on and I've put so much into and now I don't know what to do. 
So I started seeing the market change. And then um, and also like a couple of years later, the pandemic. So I think with those things, it was all about moments and fashion. Fashion became so much bigger and real authentic moments versus staged moments. So it's really just kind of seeing like how the market is going. And also I really like fashion and so does my team. So that was a personal part of, of it too. So just seeing those two things evolve. I love that. This is a great question that just came in from a florist. Um, she was recently up for a wedding who was with her ideal client. Abby, you were actually the photographer and ultimately they lost out due to price. Do all of you sometimes find that this is still the case for you even in the luxury market? And I'm going to direct that question to you, Julian. Um, and then okay. Yeah, of course. I think yes and no. And like which piece i guess i would want to ask more questions about the question um <laughs> of course like the banner in me but, um, like was it too expensive was it not expensive enough and i think it's more about um where my success and probably kate's going to speak to the same thing has been is in the impressions right like in the first impression that you get from social media in the first impression that you get from like the super customized proposal and then making sure that your work and your words that you're using in the conversation match, right? That everything across the whole board is super consistent. And I would say when we really dial that in, um, and I'll give you an example, right? In our proposal, we used to never kind of switch out the quotations, okay, from clients. It was just like always kind of the same group that we love these quotations and it kind of made sense. But when I switched and I've started surveying all of my clients and then I could have quotes that specifically related to that person's venue and that person's photographer and that person's other elements that they were looking at, it made me appear as though I was already a part of the team. And I think behaving as if you're already part of the team because you've done the work in figuring out the avatar and how those words translate across the entire portfolio, it really, um, it helps you win business more often than not. Because it's really never actually about price. It's about something else. Like it's about a feeling or it's about maybe there was a crack in the, the overarching code that isn't telling the exact same story. And so what they see in the proposal and what they're hearing from you maybe isn't matching. And so that's what this process kind of helps you do is get all of that so consistent and very tight. Yeah, you know, I love that, Julian. And just for people who, to provide some context, so the proposal that Julian's talking about is a custom proposal approach, not a pricing guide. But it's a proposal that he's sending out after he has a discovery call with a couple and he's he's learned what it is that they want to need. And then he's creating something that's that's part of a template that 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 we've worked with him on, but 20% of it might be changed. So the introduction and and s some of the packages and pricing might be tweaked a little bit. And then there are other things you can do, like switch out testimonials that are more on message and also even galleries so that they reflect the venue or the look and feel, or even that look like the couple that is getting married, you know, and that's, and that's super helpful that the custom proposal, 
especially if you're a planner, you know, it's super important because you've got to make sure that you're going out and getting your own clients. Nobody's giving them to you, right? Like you're not, you're not getting referred business. You got to earn every single one of them. But it's also important for somebody like Abby who may not get a chance to talk with the couple because she's booking through somebody like Kate that's saying, hey, one of the values I offer my clients is that they don't have to deal with all, all these vendor conversations. I just gather the proposals and they get a pick. So that means that the proposal has to be the thing that sells Abby's company rather than Abby selling herself when she gets into that particular situation. So that, like, that proposal is super crucial. I would say it, it's the best money you can spend with our company, at least, is this proposal. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we've included it in Social and Sway. You actually get the proposal template with the tutorials that are video tutorials and the copywriting formulas that we use. Uh, and then you get a proposal review that I'll do to provide some feedback so that it's it's dialed in. So that, that proposal, I, I think you're spot on, Julian. And I love that you're swapping out those testimonials to make sure that they're on message for what you're trying to communicate to build that value. It's not, you know, the the price doesn't really matter so much as the value, especially if you're in premium or luxury, because it's just that value equation. These people have money to spend, but can you show them that you're worth it? Can you show them they're going to get what's most important to them? If you're not doing that, it doesn't matter if you charge half of what you're doing, they still don't believe you. And that's what that's why you're not getting booked. And I have another question for you, Kate. Um, as a planner, how do you target your ideal client without a lot of the content and the images they would resonate with? So before today, what were you leaning on to showcase that you had the capabilities and the taste and the know-how? I think you have to invest into the things you do have control over. I It doesn't matter if the client went through an incredibly inexpensive resource or the most expensive resource, you can make a really cheap invitation look great working with the right photographer and the right styling. Same with a dress, a shoes, some of those things with the right um, time and effort put into those. So start with what you can control, whether you're a planner or a photographer. I think you can take we used to take a very small percentage. It was a line item in our actual budget to invest back into the event in those ways, buying a tray to lay the invitation out or doing just a great shot of um, an inexpensive perfume, but styled really well. Um, some of those things I think can really help. And those are the things you can control um, as you wait for those clients. You don't need the huge room shot with the crazy amount of flowers to start talking to luxury clients. I think that is so incredibly valuable. And I know working with Abby, they do a lot of pre-planning. Can you speak yeah. a little bit from the photography side of things to Abby, if you do have someone, a planner who's on the come up, how you can work around that to showcase from a photo side? Yeah. I mean, I think that like having calls with the planners to talk about what's important, like is the um is the escort cord wall going to be like demolished at cocktail and can that be set up beforehand so that we can photograph it before um someone is going to put their fingers on it so like really just understanding all of the things ahead of time and if you want to work with planners which most people do like understanding what's important to the planner like maybe they're really excited about this one aspect of it that they haven't gotten to do before and they got to pitch their client and their client going for it so like you want to know that what that is what time it is who's going to shoot it 
all those things like that. So it's on the timeline. So you're not missing it. And then even how can you make it better? Like with Kate, like bringing trays or things like that. Like how can you take what they're so proud of and help it become a better photograph? <laughs> and I think doing it early, like we oftentimes shoot it the day before or even the week before we'll go to the client's house and figure out where that dress is going to hang or we'll gather up all of their rings and the the stuff for a lay flat and shoot it the day before so that way you the day of your photographer can still focus on the candid moments between the client which is the priority on the day of because at the end of the day this is their wedding um but what i need to be able to sell my services going forward is likely something different and so can you, Abby, or if you're the photographer, shoot with me for an hour the day before? I've on my own dime rented studio space before to shoot things. Um, now I have an office with beautiful natural light, but just to be able to get that shot that I can then use in my marketing materials. I want to ask a question and maybe Julian, you can speak to this because I, I know your ideal client and while luxury is important for them, it's not the thing, it's more the feeling and the experience and the connection that they have. You know, we, this question of, that was asked about how can you gather material and speak to an ideal client that you don't yet have, there's a whole swath of ideal clients that are out there that, that give this much about some of those things like big floral walls or you know epic backdrops or sweeping roomscapes or ceiling installations they care more about meaningful moments and connections with the people who matter most to them and so Juliet, I'm, I'm curious because i know this is a lot of what you tend to put out how do you how do you how have you found that that's been successful for you especially with social media top of funnel early awareness yeah and i think it's it's interesting. It 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 all starts in the discovery call for us, you know, and and understanding like the almost all the time when it's really the right client, the very first thing out of their mind is like, I want my wedding to have a feeling. And I don't know what that feeling is exactly, but I'm going to need you to help me find what that feeling is. And and also more often than not, that client is a destination client, like in our particular case. Um, and so then it's really just about changing the way that you showcase your work to make it have a feeling, right? And I think that's where my social strategy changed a little bit in the last like year and a half is to make it more come more alive so that there is more of a feeling. It's a less of a static situation where I really wasn't my focus was not on the social. It was just like, get the post up, move on down the road, right? Like, please just make sure everyone knows that you're still in business to depend it. And um, like, here's my photo. I'm still here. If you'd like to book a wedding, we might be booking it for two years from now, but we'll figure it out, you know? Um, whereas now it's a little bit more curated. It's a lot more curated, frankly. And um and it's more about making it come alive and making that static image all of a sudden like, what does the behind the scenes of that look like? And then what does that look like in with no people in it? And then what does that look like when the customer and the client and their guests are in it and they're feeling it and you put it to music and you do all these things. And and frankly, the three panelists on here, we do not have time to do that on our own. And so and also all of you listening, because it takes a lot of work. It's a full time job to like insert a feeling into a photo on Instagram. And so I think that's really 
where things changed kind of top of funnel for me. Well, somebody somebody once said to me, and I can't take credit for this, and I wish I remembered the person, but you can either plan weddings or you can talk about planning weddings, but it's really hard to do both well. So just for the same reason, we wouldn't recommend your couple hire their cousin to photograph it or plan it. Why would we as professionals in our lane try to do something that we are not equipped to do, like our own social strategy or creating our own avatars, our own copywriting? I I wasn't trained in that. It's not something I've perfected over the years. So just like you wouldn't want, you know, someone to hire a somebody just because you have a camera doesn't mean you're a photographer. And so the same goes for just because I have Instagram doesn't mean I can do social media or just because I have a website doesn't mean I can write the copy for it. In fact, you don't want me to write the copy because I write like I talk and there would be so many misspellings. (laughs) I love that you said that, Kate, because I I tell people the same thing. Like if I'm working with a photographer, I'm like, just like you could give me a camera and a timeline doesn't mean that I'm going to do anything well. Just like you can't take this keyboard just because you have it and actually know what to do with it. And, and that's, that's the same thing that, um, that, that I think has helped all three of you is that when you've got to this point in your business, and it's not like you were unsuccessful before you reached out to Persephone's company or my company, but, but I, I know the numbers and I've seen the growth that y'all have had. And that's one of the things that I, I tell people all the time, like if these guys are hiring us to get that much better, what does that mean for you? If you're still trying to chase somebody like that, and and it's and it's so so important to make sure you're reaching for help. I'm curious, Julian, and I want to, and you can speak to this or or, or Abby, maybe. I know uh, it's been a few minutes. But so Julian's asking these questions and paying attention to these green flags that are going on during the discovery call. When you're like, okay, I'm going to ask these questions because of the training that Sam and I have done. I know now with my avatar what questions I should use to guide the conversation to go down a good path. But what happens if you're asking these questions and they don't give you a green flag, but a red flag and you're like, Ooh, not, not a, not a ideal client, but maybe a flawed client. What, (laughs) what do you, what do you do, Abby, when you run into that situation on say the discovery goal? Yeah. Um, well, it can get so personal. So I try not to offend them obviously, because they're, you know, pouring their heart out about their weddings and their views on how they want to approach everything. So we definitely, I mean, and I don't think clients always realize this, right? Like we're interviewing them and they think it's just them interviewing us, but it's definitely a two-way street. So we are thinking, and I like what you said, Sam, prize portfolio and personality, like thinking of all those three things and weighing them. And so, yeah, I mean, sorry, we tell a white lie. We tell them that we're booked because I just don't want to tell them that I'm not a good fit or that like that, something else. I don't want to hurt them because I've done that before. And then it just spiraled. So we usually just say that we are not booked. We are booked on that wedding date now. We do a different approach a little bit. Like I, and sometimes honest to a fault, obviously, but like if they're not, I mean, I wrote a whole blog about it so that I could send it to them in an email. And I just (laughs) like, you're not a good fit. And this is what you should be spending for like, especially when it's a price thing, right? It's like, but what if it's not price? So that's the hard part. Like, you just don't want it. That's the sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> don't want it. Well, then, then in the proposal, I just make it fucking expensive. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of with Julian on this. Like, I'll just price price myself price out, out because I'm such a that? part part pardon my French, but I'm such a chicken shit, and I don't want to like, I and like 
tell them no. So I'd rather them tell me no because then I like feel like they're no. in the driver's seat. So I we we did it last year, not our ideal client. And I know a lot of the people <laughs> about this. They were not our ideal client. Um, and I sent them a proposal for ninety thousand dollars for our services, and they said okay. And I was like, well, shit, I'll do anything for ninety thousand dollars. That's fine. I did that too this year. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, I mm-hmm. mean, and and sometimes with my team, like we have to like remind ourselves some of the events we do are about cashing the check because at the end of the day, this is a business. Like I have three children with mouths to feed and tuition to pay. People on my team are salaried employees with benefits. I have to, their livelihoods in my hands. And that's not something that I take lightly. And so I think that we, like, let's be honest, we can't all just walk, we can to a certain extent walk away from some business, but at the end of the day, I will do almost anything, but the price tag might be different. (laughs) If you don't, you know, there might be a difficult tax. or I I call it folk. I call it faux pricing, FO pricing. You can imagine what it stands for. Um, and, and it, and it is, it's, it's a, or PETA pricing, pain in the ass pricing. Um, but I think you're right, Kate. And I think that's something that, that I want to make really clear is that even with all the great work that we've done for attracting the right client with social media, filtering them out on the website or letting them through to the inbox, you know, walking them through the discovery call, sending over a great proposal, like, even then you're still going to get clients that are not perfect. Like that you have, like you have, you have to have an ideal to shoot for so that you know, you're going in the right direction. But there are some times when you're going to accept less than perfect. It's like you have those, those three levers that you're, or sliding scales that you have of price personality and portfolio. It'd be great if they were all a 10 on a scale of one to 10, but sometimes it might be an eight on price and a 10 on personality and a six on portfolio. But that's cool because you got a lot of really good portfolio pieces upcoming and you just need an easy person to work with. And like the money's good because, you, you know, you don't have a lot of inquiry. So you're going to say yes rather than hold out. So it's it's not like you're going to listen to these three and do the same things that they did. And, and all of a sudden, boom, magic, everything's rainbows and unicorns. There's still flawed clients that get through and there are still clients that don't end up being ideal, but they end up being good enough for that need that you have there. Right. Anybody who sits around and tells you they're only working with their ideal client 100% of the time and turns everyone else away is just full of shit because there's no, we're at the end of the day, we're all a business. We all have mouths to feed and, and things. So 80%, eight out of 10 is still passing, you know? Yeah. Agreed. 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 From a perspective for all of you, what we've done is if there is a situation where it is like that, we just make sure that we're curating either in or out. So if it makes no sense to be on the feed, that's a decision that we stick to. Or if there's a piece of it that still makes sense for the brand, then a piece of it can be shown maybe just in stories or a piece of it can be shown that's a super zoomed in that you are proud of or not. It's it's your choice to decide. But so long as it ladders up to those pillars and those avatars, then that's what's shown. You don't have to show everything just because you've done everything. I want to ask a question and uh, maybe shift the conversation a little bit on this topic. Um, and, and I'm interested in hearing both from the planners in the group, Julian and Kate, and then also Abby, from your perspective, you know, it used to be that planners held this little black book that they held all of the secret vendors that were going to be the most amazing or the right vendors 
but social media over the last 10 years has leveled that playing field. And so, uh, you know, your couples have so much opportunity to do research on their own and to fall in love, or they may even come to you with, you know, with competing ideas of who they want to work with. So I'm curious first, you know, uh, Julian, and then, and then Kate, I want to hear your thought from a planning perspective. And then Abby, what it's like for you to kind of slip in through the side door, you know, of, of having people come to you first, but Ju- Julian, how has social media changed the way that your couples seek out vendors even though they're hiring you to help plan their wedding, what's it like right now with social media kind of cramping your style on the recommendations that you're making? How big of an impact is it on the couple's decision? You know, it's funny. I actually think it's social media has helped us reinforce, to be honest, um, because we also put who we work with, right? And so they have been it gives them, it gives each of those vendors like a little bit more credence and like, oh, you've done this. And, um, and we've worked well together and you've had a great outcome together and, and there's been, um, great success. And I think it comes more into play for me in destination, right? Because the client is doing a lot more poking around and, um, and really like helping vet in a lot of ways through the process like oh well this florist and i dm'd him and da, 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 da. and and then it's just more about like a very serious conversation <laughs> and like let's look at their instagram and let's look at my instagram and like do you see that they do the same work that we do and you've hired us already so what would you like to go the path of least resistance or we'd be happy to use this vendor and use them as much time as you would like um we'll be charging you hourly and um and so it's 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 helped in a lot of ways, I think, too, for instant validation in a destination market of does it match, does it not match, you know? And and sometimes it's it's interesting because some of the markets we work in, there's only one. Like in some of the small islands that we work on, there is one florist that like that's it, Brett said we're gonna have to make it work. And like, please ignore their Instagram because it's not going to look like that. <laughs> it works against people sometimes too. And so I think it, um, I like it. I've, I've enjoyed the transparency of it. I also have found amazing vendors through it. Mm-hmm. Um, some people where the client has said, Oh, well, what about this one that I kind of found? And maybe they're a little up and coming, but they, they seem to have the taste level that I want to, to work with. And so there've been kind of ones where, before in destinations, you kind of just had to go through the people that you know, or through the connections that you know, or through the hotels that you know. And now it's it's opened up the game a little bit more. So I see it really as a as an addition, and mm. I'm frankly happy to put everybody out there. Um, and you know, it doesn't bother me in any way. The magic happens because um, of the couple and the combination of those people in that one moment. And um, and every time you use them, it doesn't mean that the result is going to be the same. Yeah, I know when you and I were in San Miguel uh, w- with our partners in September, we we shared a house together and we were chatting and you were like, hey, Sam, I need a photographer for blah, 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 blah. Who would you recommend? 
and like I give you a name and like you'd sit you'd pull your phone out and you you and I, you got you go, this is how you use your phone too with your finger like upside down like this <laughs> and and you're going through and you're on Instagram like that's the first thing and then you're like oh okay and then you go through and you start doing tell me more about them but that's like the like if they can't pass that test for same style beautiful work it's going to fit in with what the client has in mind like it like it doesn't even go any further than that and yeah. I think I hear so many of the downstream vendors that we work with that that always talk about like you know what about my pricing and you know what do i talk to them about and like should i send them a gift i'm like just get your nine grid dialed in first that's the number one thing you need to do it truly is because i'm not scrolling past that right you got half a second to make an impression if you can't get past that then then it's it's done so uh, you know, all the more reason, you know, for when you're thinking about referral strategy, social media is still a part of that because it's the first, it's like a handshake or even a hello. Yeah. In a lot of ways. What do you think? So, yeah. Oh, I was going to say. No, I was just going to, oh, the only co- ditto to everything that was said. Um, The only thing I was going to add to it was it is the first step, but it is not the only test because just because someone has a large Instagram following, a verified check mark does not mean that that particular florist can handle the level of production that you are doing or that photographer can ha- has a team large enough to shoot in six places at, at once. And so it might be the first step, but it's not the only step. And I see that's where a lot of people fall flat, especially on the planning end is like, oh, I want to work with that photographer because they have 68,000 followers. And then you find out the hard way that photographer can't follow a timeline, doesn't have a large enough team, and they just happen to, you know, get in that Instagram at the ground level mm-hmm. versus a photographer who can do those things or a florist or a decor company. So I think it is the first, but not the only. I would say-, say it's less about the number of followers. Like that's not even what I feel like I'm looking at, you know, right. like I don't care if you have a check mark or you have a million followers, I could care less. Like, does the style of what I'm seeing match what I need and what my ideal client is looking for? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because it really is about the photos and it's about the feeling, right? Um, And I think it's so interesting. I think people get hung up on that top part. But Kate, that's a really good point. It's like, that's not the part that matters. I will say for those of you who are tuning in and knowing that we have this panel going on and we also have our, our social and sway mastermind that we're open for enrollment on um you know it's social and sway for social media and and sway like persuasion sales but it's not just those two things we have about a quarter of all of the curriculum that we're focusing on has to do with building up the right kind of content not just for social media but also for expanding your professional network and building your referral strategy and selling through planners or or knowing how to work with venues to get more referrals and and how to guide that process. So just, just as you're going through and thinking about it, the stuff that we're talking about here is important and it's stuff that Persephone and I will help guide you through so that you're not making missteps and falling off the path on your way to try and build that referral strategy. It's crucial, but there's a lot of misbeliefs and false false uh, conceptions out there that 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 are kind of clouding the way to getting more referrals and and working with better planners. Abby, I'm curious, what's your perspective? You know, you and I talk a lot about getting through the side door with planners that you <laughs> have worked with and trying to get that the couple to love you first and recommend you to the planner. What's that been like for you over the last couple of years? 
Yeah, I think like Instagram has leveled the game, I guess. I mean, obviously, we always want those planner referrals, but sometimes planners have their favorites or, you know, there's other things that they're referring about. So I think it like what Persephone says, like niching down, and it's really about leaning in super hard to your ideal client so that when they go to your Instagram and they look at your top nine, that they are ready to fall in love with you. And they're not confused. There's not a few different types. There's not like different kinds of photography styles or something like that as a photographer. I think leaning in super hard to who she is and so that they can be instantly attracted to you. And then um, like we we love to try to refer planners if we can. I mean, we, we definitely don't do it as much as a, a planner because that's just not our job. But then we're attracting all these clients and then we can refer them out to planners that we want to work with. So then we're creating a network as well. So I think it's really about, um, as a photographer, you don't always have the power, but with Instagram, you get a little bit more power to control who we want to attract. There's a bunch of questions that are basically around the same type of thing. And Abby, I would love for you to also expand on this um, to start. What is the best thing you've done to up level and attract more of those luxury clients? Because it, for all of you, you've been in, you know, a slow drip up, so to speak, from um, your starting point to luxury to super like we're continuing to grow. So that has evolved and changed. So what are those things that have helped you continue to just rise above? Yeah. I mean, I think it's all always changing and evolving. You know, like literally on this, I'm about to send an email to Sam and Katie and say, can we do our ideal avatar, client avatar again? Because like, I feel like she's a little out of date. Get in line, Abby. I know. I'm like, I already have the email drafted because I needed to this today. So I think it's about really staying, up, you know, ahead of things and like thinking about what the market is going to be doing. Um, and like, you know, I mentioned the whole it, Martha thing, because I don't know if you guys remember, but that was like what drove everything. It was like these perfect moments, always lit, cake and daylight, all these things that we like I had in my mind that we had to get. And then it shifted. So I think it's always just like looking at the market and trying to figure out where it's going. I mean, the pandemic obviously changed things. All those things are like always evolving so that you are evolving with it. Otherwise, it's easy to get flat. And like I came into the industry a while ago and I've seen people I started with or who were, you know, big before me aren't in business anymore, things like that. It's really easy to kind of fade into the background if you're not looking for those trends. I think, Abby, you have a, a strategy that I've admired for a long time. And actually, you're the reason I got connected with Persephone's team mm -hmm. and has changed my business is because we we were first internet friends before we met real life. And I remember I was on Pinterest and I saw something that you posted and it was a bit fashion forward and it, and it seemed like, oh, wow, this she's really pivoting in this direction. And I just reached out and it was like, how are you doing this? Can I buy a few minutes of your time just to understand? Because I think you're doing such a great job with it. And then I found out the, the secret to the making of the sauce was putting people, trying not to do it all myself and outsourcing some of that and putting the right team in place to do that. Um, which was, you know, uh, Sam and, and P and her whole team. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate it. I'm only here because Abby, uh, <laughs> Abby reached down and pulled me up and was like, here, I'm there. <laughs> awesome. So I want to switch gears a little bit. And we've been talking a lot about kind of attracting the ideal client. And we've talked a little bit about booking them. You know, I, I hear from a lot of wedding pros 
how important it is to, you know, social media, uh, website, those things are important. But just because they land in your inbox doesn't mean you're going to be able to book them. And just because you get your pricing right doesn't mean you're going to be able to build the value. So I want to talk a little bit about how you're actually converting people who make it to your inbox. Um, Julian, let's just start with you. You and I have worked together on sales and talked about sales for a long time. You, you were the regional director, right, of catering for Rosewood, where you've got, you know, two properties under your belt. You sold how much, you know, hundreds of events, millions of dollars worth of, of revenue. What are some of the things that you found were challenging when you left the venue and you started selling a feeling as you're putting it? What were, what were some of the challenges you ran into and then how did you work through those? You know, it, it I feel very fortunate in a lot of ways coming from Rosewood because I feel like I stepped right out of Rosewood directly into the luxury market. And so I was using kind of some of those same hotel sales techniques um, and and the kind of number one hotel sales technique that I learned was about being the fastest, right? If you respond the fastest and you give the most information and you kind of get them into an interview fastest and you close the deal fast, then then generally you can win, right? And I think that worked for me for quite some time and just being faster than everyone else. And because that was kind of what I was used to and... um and I'm a little bit of a workaholic, so it didn't really. Could you, could you sleep with your phone like this? I do. I'm like, honey, how are you? What time is it? Would like to speak? Okay, great. I don't know. Um, and so I think over time, it's the fast approach is where I got into trouble with the red flags, right? Is like, I saw the green flags. I would go, okay, these are the dollars. Like, let's figure it out. And And I also feel like I was a little bit behind. You know, my business is only... Um, it's going into its seventh year and, um, and there are a lot of other luxury planners in Dallas that have been in business for a very, very long time. And so I was, I think just experimenting with what, who my ideal client was like, let's take all of them and then figure it out later. That was kind of my approach. And when we started really, really working together and just changing the process of, doing the propose doing the call then doing the proposal then setting the follow up call then going and reviewing the proposal with them and then moving to the contract phase it slowed me down enough to look at those red flags and to start looking at other other elements of it besides like did they just have the dollars to make it work and was it going to be as much as i wanted to make and i think that's really what needed to happen was for me to slow down a little bit. And um, and now it's amazing because Sarah and I kind of do every call together and she's the queen of the red flag. And um, she'll she like pinch you underneath. Like, get off this call. Like right now, get off this call. Like this is a bad, bad situation. <laughs> and, um, and then she was like, you know what, Julian, I'm going to start writing the proposals because you need to charge more. And so it's been all of these things um, kind of in a soup to to get me to this place. But it definitely has been following a more, just to like sum it up, it has been following a more constructive process in the sales process um, and and really listening to those red flags. Mm-hmm. So, And Abby, you've got sales experience too. I mean, you were in pharmaceutical sales before 
you got into weddings and you had already achieved success before you and I even started working together. You were a Martha Stewart top photographer. You're doing very well. You were already charging luxury prices and working with great planners. What are some of the things that you did to level up from where you were to where you are now? You mean like as far as when I started working with you particularly? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, like what are like, what's a top, you know, tip that you could share or, or, you know, approach that you changed that, that really made a big impact in your conversion rate, your ability to take somebody who was interested to making them a client? I mean, one of the things we talked about was the proposal, like definitely doing something like that um, and customizing that proposal. I think that's big. And we still get a lot of comments about those. Um, And just like from sales techniques that I've learned with you, I think like telling stories um, and not always being the solution. My personality, like I want to be like, oh, I can solve your problem. Like if you don't like this about this, you know, when you saw a photographer as a bridesmaid and you didn't like this and we can do it differently, but it's not how you do it. So I was really like pushing to learn how to not be the solution and instead tell a story about how um, I guess they feel seen is the better way to, to talk about it. I mean, you and I have worked together for a, a long time off and on for, you know, several years pre-pandemic. You know, I think most of our conversations have been about discovery calls. Mm-hmm. And and that's and that's true for most of my my one-on-one clients. Um, would you say that that's been the biggest challenge but also the biggest area where you've been able to really set yourself apart from the people that maybe haven't grown as fast as you over the last few years? Yeah, I mean, I feel like discovery calls, I like nailing them. Like I always want to um, do better at them. So I take practice calls and all that stuff. I mean, I feel like that is something that never are you like, oh, I think it's kind of like public speaking. Like you can always try to get better and you can have a coach, you can do it, but it's really just about practice and and doing it over and over. Mm -hmm. Kate, what are some of the things that, um, that you've, modified or changed that have helped out with booking more of the right kind of clients and building that value with them to pay those higher prices? I I mean, I think understanding who the, the buyer is was hugely important. I, and I was just answering someone's question about this in text because who I thought that person was and who they actually are were vastly different. And I realized I was selling to the wrong person. And so I have a very specific, very specific avatar for lack of a better description of who of who that is and so that has helped us hone our message hone the type of questions we ask in both our inquiry form in the meeting which this conversation has made me realize i need to go back and rework our sales process which (laughs) sam about i was like oh I need help with my questions i need julian to tell me what questions ask after a wedding (laughs) so Right, exactly. Uh, I'm making notes about what the changes. Hey, <laughs> same. I like have this, this is a working meeting, everyone. Yeah, I'm learning. I literally like have the notes app open on my phone because I'm typing things as we go. Like, okay, I need that. I need that. Which just goes to show that just because we're sitting on type of some type of panel doesn't mean we have all all of it together. We're all learning. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have ways that we can improve. Kind of. You know- one of the things that um, that's really cool about this mastermind, the social and sway mastermind that we're doing is it's not just a mastermind in the sense that like we're meeting once a month or twice a month and then we go to a retreat at the end of the year. What what Persephone and I did was we sat down and we thought, how can we solve the problems, the biggest problems that the clients that we're likely to work with have? 
And, you know, some of the things are going to be skill issues. How do you, how do you operate the sales process or how do you implement social media now that you know what the blueprint is? That's that the skill development is, is key. And I think that's what masterminds uh, spend a lot of time on. Um, there's also tools and resources that, that you need, whether it's a list of questions or, you know, for a discovery call, or if it is, um, here's how you open the, the booking meeting, or here is the template for the sales proposal with the conversion copywriting formulas, or here are the, the transformational testimonial questions or the feedback form questions that you can send out afterwards. Like there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. And so what we're doing is we're just giving you all of the templates and guides and things like that, that, that we provide. That's what, one of the things that comes with the mastermind. And then a third big component of the mastermind is that we're going to go through and do an audit of pretty much everything that you send to a client, either through social media or even to potential referral partners, your website, your sales process, um, you know, your, your correspondence, like I'm going to go through with a red pen and tell you what's working and not, um, with, you know, with your inquiry responses and then also your proposal and your packages and your pricing. So you're going to come away with it, everything from the beginning to the end of the buyer's journey with a review, an audit of what's working, what's not working, and then also specific recommendations on how to change it. And I think that at the end of the day, that's what most people really want. They just want to be told this is great. Keep doing it, but this is really killing business. Stop doing it and do this instead. And, and so that's a big part of what Persephone and I have decided to put into this mastermind. And I think that's what really separates it from some of the other group coaching programs or especially online course programs with Q and a that comes with it is that you're going to get these done for you services and these audits that are going to really give you the specific step-by-steps that you need to do. Um, so I, I just kind of put that in there, you know, again, all of, all of these three were wildly successful. We started before I started working with them for the sales stuff. But when you look at exponential growth, it comes from having either a shift in the process or tweaks in the messaging or different questions that you ask or patience with, the client or shifting the buyer uh, type approach, that's where you start to see massive exponential growth in your business. So I, I, I wanted just to mention that, and, and I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Abby and, and Julian and Kate. Um, I'm curious, Persephone, what are, we've got 13 minutes until we're at about the 90 minute mark. Um, we've retained everybody since the beginning. So clearly we're engaging people. Um, uh, uh, panel is just a housekeeping. Are you guys good for at least another 13 minutes? Does that work for your schedules? Okay. And uh, P, why don't you take over on maybe some some questions that have come up in the Q&A that people want to talk about? Yeah. So there's still a couple of them. Um, I think one of the biggest questions that we keep seeing in different ways here is when you were booking lower end clients and decided to jump, um, what were the changes that you started to implement? And I think... Um, we have a lot of people in here that are either at the infancy or they're in similar places that all of you were in a couple years ago before we all started to work together. So I think speaking to that would be super helpful. Go ahead, Abby. Yeah. So I feel like from the beginning, it was always like knowing what was good that you wanted to show and what you didn't want to show. 
And even like stepping back to like, I feel, and I was talking about this today, like I don't feel like I have to show all of my clients. Like my job is to make sure that they love their photographs and my experience working with me. But it is not that I have to show them on my website or or our Instagram. Like that is not my promise to them. Because unfortunately, like you said, Kate, like not everyone I do is my ideal client. I don't want to track that person over and over. It's a waste of time for everyone. So knowing who that is and not feeling bad, only posting for what your goals are. So when you're at those weddings that aren't as great, but you can find some like really good things that are like a touch above like the current market that you're doing to really hone in on those. And again, that goes back to like talking to the planner and like talking about these details where the client splurged. And so if they put that money there and then you only show that one splurge in the mind of your viewer of your Instagram, that's the level of your wedding, even though maybe the rest of it was bad or something, you know? So like really focusing on those things that are going to take you to the next level, working with a planner on it as a photographer, making sure you're there at the timeline to get it correct. Or like maybe you want to shoot in a couple times of the day to like get different lighting, different moods, different guests around there. So really honing out on your goals for the wedding and like executing those and then only showing those. I love that. And you've definitely done that. And we've been able to actually really um, weave that thought process throughout everything that we've been doing together from a social side of things. Another question that continued to come up um, that I wanted to ask you, Kate, is, okay, so say, you know, they have the wallet to a fortune. You said, yes, they are not ideal. What the hell do you do with that? What have you taken away um, and and learn from that experience where you're just like, eh, you know, what were some of those key takeaways? And then I'd love to hear your thoughts on that too, Julianne. I, I think for me is something I mentioned earlier, just to call back is realizing that some clients are just going to be paying the bills. Money is green no matter which way you slice it. And so as long as they are kind to me and treat me with respect and my team with respect, then I'm okay cashing the check and not showing everything that you did on the feed like you said. However, I would say a lot um, of time, it'll be something that comes out of it, a new process, a new contract, uh, a new amendment to our contract. Every clause, our contract maybe 13 pages at this point. Every clause is the Bob clause, the Sue clause, the John clause, as <laughs> of somebody at some point, um, something came up. And so I think learning what we can do better, how we can improve, or where we can change processes is a good way to walk away from it. Try to always find the silver lining. I love that. Same question for you, Julian. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just about the silver lining, right? Like being vulnerable enough to know that the way that you do it is not always the right way. And maybe the client does improve your process in some um, interesting way. And I'll give you a good example. Just so this, here's a really good one. So I had this client who like is my ideal client, but also was kind of crazy. And um, which actually tends to be a lot of my clients. But um, the, because I really deal well with crazy because hashtag like child of trauma, but it's okay. Um, and but what he's a businessman, like a high powered businessman. He owns his own business. He's self made. He like runs the power grid basically in the state of Texas. And um, he was like, Julian, 
this conference line that you have is like not going to work for you. It's not professional. It doesn't work. Like you need to like up your game. Right. And like in that moment, it was like, oh, just one more thing. This guy is like pointing out, you know, but like now I realize, okay, yeah, like obviously I need to like up this game. Like, why am I doing this? Like Yahoo free conference call thing. Right. Like it needs to be branded and it needs to have my voice and it needs to say, welcome to Julian Libre events and like all the things. Right. And I mean, just like when I was at Rosewood, like I need to remember that mentality, right? Of like all the incredibly like precise and professional things that maybe it's going to cost you a slightly more, but they help you elevate your game to get to the next level, to get the next wedding like that. And then like two kind of grooms later, a groom was like, oh my God, I love your conference line. Like, where is it from? And like, can I get one of those? Like, this is so professional for your business. And it's just, it's interesting. Like- that it it works its way up and it's those little tiny incremental changes that get you to the next level. It's not these huge like, oh my God, I need to revamp my entire business changes. It is these tiny, tiny little twisting the dials. And I feel like that's what moves you kind of from luxury to ultra luxuries. It's really just twists and changes, slight, slight changes. How and- you present yourself in a meeting, where you have a meeting, I remember our first client that we tried to sell full service. It was all inclusive at $10,000 and I met her at Panera. And I'll just like never forget, why did I think meeting her at Panera was going to house luxury, cut me a $10,000 check. Like here I am. And I, I couldn't afford an office at the time. And so now I, if I was looking back at me, I'd think, think about, okay, you can't afford an office, but could you meet for a drink at a, a nice restaurant or a coffee shop that does, is local, has fancy pour over coffees or something along those lines? Would have been much better than Panera. No, I love their bread and their soups, but <laughs> maybe not for client meetings. Yeah. Interesting. This was a question that just came up, Kate, and mm-hmm. I think we should talk about it for a second. But like it just somebody just asked if an in-person meeting versus like a Zoom meeting, like for your initial consultation, like where does that fall in your process? Do you want to answer? You Do you want to go first? Oh, yeah, I can go first if we want. Sure. I'll be honest. Every single initial inquiry call that we do is on the phone. Mm-hmm. And um, we get on the phone because I want to hear your voice and I want to understand that piece of it and then maybe we're going to meet later but like i want to i'm going to strip out all the the unnecessary kind of first impression pieces i want to hear everything that you're you're saying and that really helps me like listen to those green flags and listen to those red flags and eliminates kind of your background and and the way that we're really interviewing the client what about i most of ours are zoom or phone call i prefer zoom to phone call because as you might have seen on this call, I have a hard time not like interrupting because I get so excited about something that I want to share. And so when I can see the person either in my office or on Zoom, it helps me not get excitable. That's why you'll see me mute myself so I don't accidentally interrupt. (laughs) Um, So we try to keep that first initial call kind of quick. The second time we meet with somebody, if I can have them at my office, my conversion rate is much, much higher, but I would only invite them to my office if it's somebody that I want to work with. If it's not somebody I want to work with, I can go straight to proposal and send that over via email. Um, But because our goal is to create an experiential event, 
we want the process of working with us to be an experience as well. So if they can come to my office and I can do a, a great presentation with coffee and pastries or a great bottle of wine and talk to them about where we got it or something along those lines, my conversion rate's high, but those are rare. And I will say I go mostly in the second meeting to a client's house. Mm. Love the different approach. Yeah. I love that. that. So it's a little bit better. Then you like meet them on their turf and it seems to work pretty well. Absolutely. I love that. Which would also be great for anybody who's up and coming who may not have that office space or that custom line is to go to their home and bring a hostess gift, a beautiful candle or something like that would be such a nice touch to level yourself up. Exactly. Or even this is my actual trick and I'll give it away. Send the send flowers after you've met with them. Don't bring it with you. Can I start? Yeah, that's brother. I um, I wanted to ask. Um, so, if you're going to their home, you're not. You don't want to be inviting yourself. So, how do you actually articulate that? So, it's that they invite more. Ninety nine percent of the time, they're like, "Oh, we'll come to our house." Okay, because this is why, and this is why, because in our pro- in our discovery call, we ask a lot about home decor. Like, we get them excited about home decor. We want to talk about their home. I see Kate. Like, it's like, what? My mom's in interior design. My interior design. Yeah. Like, we're not talking about weddings. I don't fucking care what you think about a wedding. Like, I want to know what couch you have. Okay. And what coffee table you have and what's on your fucking wall. Like, I want to know all of that. So, <laughs> Interesting. And then they're interested. In it, and then I'm like, oh my God, come to my house because they want you to love it. Okay. Can I ask a question? Do you have a love for interior design? Is that one of your, your, See, because I do a lot with food. So I ask, like, what are their favorite restaurants, the best meal that they ever have? If you ask my team, my love language is food. My husband and I love to cook for people. I want to understand how you break bread and with the people that yeah. you love because I want to design an event around that. So it's interesting because that's why I like to meet them somewhere to have that glass of wine. And you like the interior design, but my my mind just was like... Yeah, <laughs> we saw it on your face. <laughs> not tell a lie. She cannot tell a lie. And so, I think that's like just part of our language, right? All the time, because he does interiors and home staging, and like that's just what we do. Like I'm constantly surrounded by furniture. Like we have a mm-hmm. like I have to have a bed. I have to have a table. There has to be somewhere to sit, right? But like otherwise, all bets are fucking off. And like I could walk in here any day of the week, and all the furniture has changed. So <laughs> I think. <laughs> It's about them, like, how does it feel and lived in? And and then they get excited about it, too. And I feel like sometimes they don't have the language to describe decor because I do feel like my my events are much more decor heavy. And yeah. so interiors is an easy bridge for them in that regard. Interesting. Like, I mean, with, uh, I mean, with fashion, that's like we're like the trifecta of all the, that's like, beautiful creative pieces, right? Like... <laughs> Interior to an event together, immediately. She did my wedding, like in full disclosure. Like she shot my wedding. I mean, I, it was incredibly beautiful. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So I want to I want to ask this question now, Julie. I want to go back to something that you said because I know that this is uh, again something that I hear a lot from people who are looking to level up, whether it's from premium to luxury or luxury to ultra luxury. Did it all happen at one time, or did you see kind of a you know, a, a, a process to get there. You know, I hear some people are like, oh my gosh, I'm going to double my rates. You know, like I need to charge more and I'm going to double them. 
Um, you know, is that something that you guys did or did you find that this took a little bit of time to get from where you were to where you are now? Oh, it definitely has taken time, you know? Um, it's taken, I mean, it's taken seven years and it's never going to stop, I don't feel like. And it's it's about those learning lessons. And I actually think it's about those the red flags and then you bypass the red flag and then you work with that client and then that really helps you charge more in the future. And um, incrementally so. And mm-hmm. like I was saying before, I do feel like it's interesting that I walked right into the luxury market. Um, and that's a little bit unique. I don't feel like I had to up level from like, like the lovely market to the luxury market because I had done that previously in my career. Um, but that, I will tell you, like that movement from that lovely kind of place. I mean, I started with sorority parties for friends. Like I was getting paid like a dollar. And um, and then like to Rosewood, right? But that was like a, a like a 16 year arc, basically. So it takes it takes some time. Yeah. I mean, we're 10, we're 10, we're booking into our 12th year. We're a little over 10 years in, but I remember the very first client who spent $40,000 and I thought that it was the biggest wedding I was ever going to do. Yeah. I mean, I I remember like, so for us, each step of the way in that transition, we had things that we were pushing towards. Like this year, we're going to get everybody to invest in specialty linens. Okay, great. We've checked that off the list and it's become a standard for our events. Now this year, we're going to get everyone to do menu cards at each place setting. Okay, we've checked that off the list. I mean, we went there very, very, very increment- incrementally, very, very slowly. Um, it really, I think, took the trying to push the clients on one tiny little thing that was tiny little focus okay, uh, this year we're going to invest in great photographers or, or, or whatever it is. And it took, it was, we, I'm in St. Louis. It's not his, I, I love, I have a lot of pride for mine, but it does, it's not historically, like if you think of luxury marketplace, you're not like, oh, I can't wait to go stay at the Hilton in downtown St. Louis. Like you might, if you were going to Charleston or Dallas or LA. So I think we've tried really hard to push. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're, you know, what you talked about, Julia, with like fine tuning something along the way, it was like, hey, let's dial this in and then let's dial this in and let's dial this in. Um, it's not a, it, my, my experience is what you guys are sharing. And it's that it's not a, a big leap where you're like, I'm going to go from five to $10,000 in price points and like hope that something comes along. Um, it's usually like five to 5,500, then 6,500 and then 7,250. And then you jump up to eight and then it's 8,550 and then it's 9,000. And then you make the jump to 10 that could take place over a couple of years or even a year if you do it fast, but you're not just making the leap and skipping over all the steps. It's kind of like trying to jump up eight flight or eight, eight steps at one time rather than stepping up eight times to get to the next level. Yeah. It's not overnight friends. And it never stops. And it never ever stops. But it's going to be fun if you have people like this to help yeah. you. Yeah. Just because it looks overnight online does not mean it was. I remember Instagram fully. Yeah. I remember this story um, that I read in uh, a book by James Clear, Atomic Habits. If you all have not read it, read it. And he talks about this um, this ice cube that's sitting in a room. And it's like 22 degrees in the room and everybody's looking at the outside and there's this window and, you know, they're watching this ice cube and this, and you know, it, it all like one hour goes from 22 to 23 degrees, nothing happens. So the ice cube, 
23 to 24, nothing happens to Ice Cube. 24 to 25, still ice, still a cube. 26, 27, same thing. Over the course of several hours, it goes up to 31 degrees. And everybody who's watching this ice cube is kind of getting bored and they're talking with each other. And then it gets to 32 degrees and all of a sudden the ice cube starts melting and everybody notices and they go, wow, it must be really hot in there. That's what it looks like from the outside in. At some point, there will be this perceptive jump that occurs with your business, whether you get on a list or you you book a gig with a famous planner or you get some big three-day weekend in Italy that you you know is all over Instagram or whatever it may be. And all of a sudden, people are like, wow, that person is doing everything that I want to do. I want to be like them. But it's like the ice cube going from 31 to 32 degrees. It's just one small degree difference, but it crosses over a threshold and it makes it much more visible. And I think that that that's just what I'd like to leave this panel with. And what, if you're in the audience, just to continue to remember that Julian and Abby and Kate didn't get here overnight. They didn't even get here over a year. It took years and years and years. All of them have been in the wedding industry for well over a decade and have been working every single day at bettering themselves by just 1%. And over the course of their careers, they have gotten to where they're at. Switching to Social and Sway as this mastermind opportunity, we're taking people along that ride over the course of a year. We're building on each thing that you learn from the previous month to create that kind of incremental improvement. And we're starting with that ideal client. Who is that ideal client? And we're not going to ask you, we're going to tell you who it is. So we did a full brand communication strategy for each one of these, but what we're doing is we're going to create something that's very close with a positioning report. And so in the very first month that we work with everybody who's involved in in the mastermind in Social and Sway, you will get a positioning report where you will get this avatar with a name and a photo, what jobs they do, who they're marrying, what are their biggest desires and concerns, um, what are the perfect solutions that you offer, how do you do that differently and better, than other people in your comp set. You'll get a comp set analysis to provide the positioning that you need to to separate yourself from these other people. That is done for you. And then we go through the buyer's journey where you start off with, okay, what kind of content do we create based on the messages that are needed? What kind of social media then can we use to create to, to pl- as a platform for that content? How can we then use that as a way to expand our referral network to include the right kind of people that have the same kind of brand aesthetic that we do. Not just the ones who are famous, but the ones that are a good fit, not just aesthetic wise, but personality wise, so that you get along with them and have fun with them. And they're going to want to hire you again. And then eventually we move into your website and getting that dialed in so that it can attract and repel the kind of clients you want. And then we go through the sales process. And so we spend about half of the year doing attracting ideal clients and half of the year booking ideal clients. And eventually, by the time you get to the end, we we we, we start or we, we finish with upselling. How can you upsell a client after they've signed the contract? So it's a very comprehensive approach. Um, you know, we're gonna take it very chronologically, very organized, very systematically, so that you get every single thing that you need to dialed in. And eventually by the time that your your couple gets to the end of this process they're going to have had a great experience each 
each step of the way. We're removing the obstacles and creating a magnet at the end that everybody's drawn to. So I, I want to put that out there. Uh, Persephone, I think we had a total of uh, almost half of the seats full um, is where we're at. Right, checked right before we got on. Um, I, there's a bunch of you who are on here. Uh, super excited uh, to have you. If you're in the audience, thank you so much for joining up with us for Social and Sway. If you have not joined up or, or not even looked at uh, Social and Sway, go to socialandsway.com uh, or you can go to either, uh, uh, you know, our, our, either of our Instagrams and you'll find it in the profile. Um, you know, we encourage you to take a serious look at it. We get that times are tough right now. Many of you are not seeing the kind of inquiries that you normally see or want to see during uh, an inquiry season or booking season. Um, I can tell you that doing nothing and hoping that things get better is not going to work. Hope is not a successful strategy for business. If you want to see the results, you have to put in the effort. And a lot of times people don't know where to begin. This is where you begin. You begin by getting a couple of experts who have been down this path over and over again with amazing people like Julian and Abby and Kate. We've guided them. We can guide you too. We hope that you take us up on the offer. Um, we'd love to have you be a part of this. Uh, any parting words from uh, the panelists, Julian, Kate, Abby, anything that you want to share with people as they're trying to figure out their way through and get to success, whatever that might look like to them. And then Persephone, I'll give you the last word. I, I mean, I think anybody who, who follows our Instagram account knows that I'm brutally honest to a fault. Um, so I'm, I'm truly not blowing smoke when I say that my business would not be where it is today without these two humans helping me, uh, redefine without Persephone and Sam and, um, I'm very grateful to them. They've become friends during the process. I felt like throughout the entire process, they truly care about my business, about me as a person and and getting me to the level I am. And so if you are at all on the fence and you want to reach out to me personally to ask questions about working with P and Sam, I'm happy to answer them because I truly mean it. We wouldn't be where we are today without their assistance. So I'm, I will do anything that they ever ask me forevermore. <laughs> mm -hmm. Agreed. And I think the same as Kate would say too, like, I'm happy to answer anybody's question. You know, um, if, if, if you have questions about working kind of in this, I mean, I wish that this was here five years ago. <laughs> Would have been a lot cheaper, Julian. <laughs> so lucky bastards, all of you who are listening. Um, but, uh, but take advantage of it because it really has been helpful. And I think just be open and be, not afraid to be vulnerable and i mean it's like business therapy a little bit and um you get through some of the hard things to get to the great stuff and um and you know i've been working with sam for a long time obviously but with persephone too and, and her team they we've been working together for about a year and a half and it really has drastically changed everything about my business and um and really presenting it in a different way that i really was unclear about presenting before and and how to how to do that and so i just i mean none of the three of us are getting paid to be here we're just here because really we owe our success to these two and um and so any questions you have like please just call you know the end any of the things Ms. Likewise. go ahead step go ahead for stephanie <laughs> no, I I was just gonna say thank you. I really appreciate all of these. We're kind of 
Wonderful. Awesome. Well, thanks. No, Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I just wanted to say thank you again for all of you, all of you amazing human beings being on this panel and so excited for the opportunity to collaborate and work together and really get into the weeds of each of your businesses. Everything about this is truly customized for you so that you have a map and a light to guide your your business. And I think all of us would have felt a lot co more comfortable with a map and a guide at the beginning and all the different, you know, um, peaks and valleys that happen. Um, so it's been a pleasure. We're really excited and hope to see you um, in a few weeks as we start. And thank you again, all friends. Yeah, thank you all very much. If you are interested in exploring more of Social and Sway, I put the website in the chat link. Uh, please go ahead and click on it. Uh, uh, everybody on the panel uh, open and, and available for com conversation about that. Hit them up on Instagram if you have any questions about it. Uh, uh, Persephone and I, of course, are uh, available. Uh, you have our email address, the email that you got to sign up for this. You can just hit reply. I answer that myself. If you have any questions, please bring it our way. Uh, Julian, Abby, Kate, thanks so much for everything. Uh, Persephone, I know you've got a lot going on with the ice storm and a couple of five-year-old boys running around your house. Um, thank you all for the time today. Uh, if you're in the audience, thank you for taking the time out of your day. Um, you could have done anything with this last hour and a half. You decided to make your business better and to get some fresh perspective. And uh, you should be proud of yourselves for doing that. Many people don't have the courage to say, I need to get some help and I want to learn what other people are doing. So um, that's a great first step. And I hope that you continue to do it wherever your road takes you. 